Welcome back to the Stephen Sully study. I'm your host, Stephen Sully. Um, my mission, my mission statement is to inspire anyone who's listening, but predominantly a younger demographic, simply because when I was younger, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, become or, or achieve. And I feel and felt that had I had a place to you know, get inspired, motivated and educated, it may have made my decision-making process a lot more easier. So what I try and do is try and bring content, whether that's a solo uh, episode about some of the experiences I've gone through, lessons I've learned and things that inspire me, or I try and bring on some guests. The guests, you know, quite naturally, I'm going to try and get some people in the public eye, famous people, celebrities. They're always quite cool to, to get on. Kieran Richardson, footballer, Mel Dean, ex-professional um, uh, rugby player. I mean, Tim Lovejoy, who's on Sunday Brunch. These are all cool people. But but sometimes when people are in the, in the public eye or in the public light, it's quite hard for people to always relate to them. So I like to also interview people that I feel have blazed their own trail and also are go-getters. People that are not necessarily net always on TV or, you know, who are um, that well-known, but might be a little bit under the radar, but they've got a fantastic and fascinating story. They've come from sometimes nothing or they've come from very very tough upbringings and they've they've uh they blazed their own trail like i said and also they've achieved a lot of success and a lot of heights over the last few years and my next guest a girl called becky evans who goes by the name of queen b on instagram she's got nearly a hundred thousand followers on youtube that she um started back in 2016 uh, doing vlogging she's got over seventy thousand uh, followers her uh, profile is predominantly around cars. She's got a passion um, with, with, with cars and the automotive tra- trade. She travels around the world. She presents for uh, people like uh, Red Bull. She's had a contract with them for Red Bull TV. Um, she's about to go off t- tomorrow to uh, Barcelona. The week after, she's going to Vegas. She travelled last year uh, to 15 different countries on 74 flights in 2019. She's a, a girl that's come from Coventry and it's not necessarily known for like people, females especially, into cars and, and things, but her sheer drive, determination and basically doing whatever it takes to become a success is the attitude that she, that she possesses. And I like to bring that out of my guests, especially someone like her, and hopefully that, that should transpire to the audience and you can think, you know what? This person shared a very similar upbringing to me. They've had similar challenges to me and, and therefore I can go out and do what they've achieved, but just do it in my own way. Um, Becky's got so much energy. She's very passionate. She's a lovely, lovely lady. She's, you know, she's not a super close friend, but someone that I've known via the Dark Circle guys, a clothing company, guy, guy called Aaron who runs it. And I just know she's got the characteristics to develop a very, very good episode with myself by interviewing her. And I know in the next five or 10 years, if I get to interview again, she's going to be on a different height, different level. So maybe that might be another, uh, that might be another interesting podcast. Be happy, never content. Enjoy the episode. Enjoy the interview. Please follow myself. Subscribe to my YouTube channel, my podcast. Leave comments, good or bad. I love them all. More the merrier. And yeah, enjoy this episode. Nice one. Welcome back to the Stephen Sully study. I have my next guest next to me, Becky Evans, aka Queen Bee. Thank you very much for coming on my podcast and thank you. Thank you for your time. Um, I've already done an intro, so I'm not going to go over that again. Um, 
as I mentioned to you earlier, as we we're, were having breakfast, I like to interview people that are blazing their own trail. Mm. I feel like you've got a very compelling story. Um, I like to talk about people's backgrounds before I talk about their achievements because I want my guests and my podcast and my episodes to inspire a young generation of demographic to think, you know what, I've come from a similar background or she's inspired me because I've gone through this challenge. That's kind of the goal behind this. Mm -hmm. And I believe that you can definitely give some motivation and inspiration. Thanks, Steve. <laughs> so let's start from let's start from the beginning. Okay. Who, who are you? Like what is your background? I know you come from Coventry, but yeah. like what was your typical like childhood like? Um, very normal. You know, like it wasn't too far one way, too far another. It was just like born and raised in Coventry, went to school there, like yeah, just, I, it's hard to explain really, but yeah, very normal, I would say. It's like, just went to a normal school, had a dad and mum that would like, kind of just like, go to school, do like, try and do as best as you can, and never really sort of saw too much outside of the norm. Um, but yeah, went to school there for all the way up until I was 18, and then went from there into university, because again, it was a simple thing of like, when you're that age, you don't know what the hell you want to do. Mm -hmm. And the best way to kind of put off having to make any serious decisions is to keep yourself in education. So that's exactly what I did. Do you, um, would you, I didn't go to university and uh, as I explained to you and I've explained to many people before, I had no kind of prospects of going to higher, higher education simply because I was fucking stupid. So um, I was going to go to, to the Marines and that kind of thing. But I do sometimes envy my missus. She's, she's been in university and she's got a uh, pretty good degree there. Mm -hmm. And I sometimes envy her. I think, do you know what? Could I have been a better person if I would have gone? Um, mm -hmm. Would you support like young people going to university or do you think just do what you want to do? I think it's absolutely what you want to do. And do you know what? A lot of the time we sit there and we decipher and deliberate over our decisions when actually once you've made that decision, it's gone. Do you know what I mean? Like that's it you don't know if you'd have gone if you'd have gone left what would have happened if you went left and if you went right that's what you stuck with so if you decide to go to university that's entirely up to you and you know good on you don't think about what would have been if you didn't go and vice versa like i think it's an entirely personal choice i mean these days the whole concept of university's changed anyway mm. and um it's just it's just a different time now i think if you want to study a particular subject area then definitely but to yeah i think it's a very personal choice and i don't know if i asked you earlier but what um because before we go into your achievements mm. and what you're doing right now i know that you had a spell in uh, fashion did you study God, yeah. study fashion in university or what, what oh, was you learning i went to university to do business with economics because at a level i did psychology philosophy and economics because okay. i was like I love that sort of side of things, but then I was like, I probably should do something. I did business studies as well. Um, you know, I should probably should do something in and around the business world. Because I didn't know what I wanted to do. And it seemed yeah. like a good thing to do at the time. I was like, all right, cool. And uh, yeah, then went on to do my degree in business and economics. Nice. Because again, it was like beige enough that I could sort of use it in various different contexts but not so pinpointed that I had to make a, a severe decision as to, oh, I want to do that, definitely. Mm. But yeah, I did work in fashion, but again, that came off the back of playing just on my strength. So I was like, the way the job came up in London was like, right, what am I good at? Talking shit, what do I like? Streetwear, right, fine, let's try and like do something around that. So I ended up in PR for fashion. And uh, how was that? I hated it. Why? Because it just wasn't my thing. Like the bit that I enjoyed, the bit that I gleaned out off the back of it 
was that I like building brands. I like the whole interactive experience of being like, right, here's an entity. How do we mold that and, and kind of everything to do with that? But I was in a world where the people that I was working with were not the same kind of mindset. I was like a bit of, you know, I've been into cars my whole life and, and then I'm suddenly in, a, in an office of 24 birds. And I was like, whoa, this is very different. <laughs> I was so green as well. Like I wasn't, you know, London PR is, is a bubble in itself. And I was just there like eating my Mars bar. Like, <laughs> you know, like I was just very calm. <laughs> so did you take your kind of, because uh, you mentioned earlier about you like elements of the fashion that you used to work in, like the cool kind of mm. street look almost? Because mm. I know you from, I know of you and then got to meet you from Aaron from Dark Circle, yeah. who's a former yeah, guest yeah, of mine. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to them guys, obviously through Noel and also Aiden mm-hmm. and people like that. Yeah. Um, so when going into that sort of world PR, was you coming in still like dressed the same way? like kind of school, And then you're going in with like, let's say typical PR people, yeah. which are very dressed smartly and stuff. Well, do you know what the thing was? And, you, and I can't berate them for it. It was more my thing. So just a little bit of backstory, how I ended up in PR was I finished university. I went away and sort of, traveled for a little bit and then came back and was just working in some like transport office in the Rico arena like just a really just get some money in your pocket type job and I'd actually been seeing a guy in America and I was like I can get a job out there I'm gonna go I'm gonna go so I went over there and was like I'm gonna go do this and I thought like maybe do commercial property leasing I don't know what I was thinking anyway got all the way through to having a job sponsorship all the rest of it and then um because I was going to these like business network investor meetings, you know, like local BNI type things and like standing up and being like, hi, I'm Becky, I'm looking for a job in this area. These are my strengths, blah, blah, blah. Like when I think back to my, like I was brazen at 20 to be like, all right, cool, let's go, like, try and make this work. Mm-hmm. Um, that thankfully didn't work out because I couldn't get the visa in time for the job. And then I was like, right, plan B, straight to London. We need to make this work. And it was like, idea from idea to execution, it was eight weeks, like, which was uh, my boyfriend at the time was just absolutely like, what what what's happening where are you going and i just sent out 10 um 10 cover letters with my cv to 10 agencies i got five answers i got three interviews i got two job offers and i took one and it was the one that i took because the woman who ran it i can't she was cool like she sort of took a chance on me i was like i don't know what i'm doing i just know that i'm good at talking i'm good at interacting and i know that i can do these different things a pr is a myth to me right now but i'm sure i can learn it and she took a big chance on me, which I was like always grateful for. But yeah, from my idea to execution, it was eight weeks. But it was more because I just knew I needed to get myself out of a stagnant place back in Coventry. I just, I needed to get moving again. Mm. What um, strikes me about you, your personality, but also as you're talking there, is you've got this confidence and you're like a go-getter. And I believe that's such an important trait to <clears throat> either home in on or develop, because I feel like nothing, nothing will happen in your life unless you go out there and do it. And I know so it's very basic stuff, but that is the reality. Nothing, mm-hmm. unless you're going to luck into the lottery, you're not really going to become a success. No. Where did that come from? I mean, were your family sort of like, did they drill that into you to be confident or is it just natural? It's a weird one. It's like, because we all have our own insecurities, right? Do you know what I mean? Everyone does. But at the same time, when I was younger, I used to look at my dad because my dad, he just, he just did loads of things. And my dad always said to me, he was like, if you're going to do anything in your life, have a hobby, Right. Because a hobby gives you purpose and a hobby gives you something to get up on the weekend and do. It gives you, you know, beyond outside your job. It doesn't matter if you're doing like a normal nine to five, but it was like a hobby enables you to be the person that you want to be. You know what I mean? 
because you get it, it's a community thing mm. and i used to watch the way my dad would walk down <clears throat> the pits at santa pod and everyone would tip their hat to him do you know what i mean and he had a way do you know what i mean my dad had a way he was charismatic and i just used to be like wow if i can be like that one day you know you're the one popping jokes you're the one who taught making people people feel comfortable and the way he worked in business was exactly the same way he was like he was just good at what he did and when you know you know moving later on into what i do now i deal exclusively with men and men sniff out weakness within five minutes you know what i mean like it's the way you carry yourself is so important because i think if you're trying to sell something to someone or if you're trying to tell somebody about something there's a lot of psychology that goes into it and if you're confident in the way that you pass on your information then people are more likely to listen to you but if you're quite shy if you're a little bit shy and things like that like people are like oh if the, i don't think she's sure so why am i going to be sure if you're sure then you can pass that on you know mm. and that's i think that's so important especially when you're dealing when you're when you're trying to take something like a brand or yourself and tell somebody else about it you need to know personally that what you're saying you totally and utterly believe in mm. and that i think that's where it comes from so your dad gave you that great advice so um having a hobby mm-hmm. i know your parents pre- predominantly your dad into, yeah, yeah, into yeah, cars yeah. yeah yeah so was your hobby then to get into cars or did you pick up another another hobby before you got that into was it? the main thing like i always just enjoyed it there was like a certain floss about it you know like I was 21 when I bought my BMW E21, the 1983. I was 21 years old and I was just like, I need this car. Because it was old school, it was vintage, it was everything that I liked, you know? And it was like super cheap. I was like convincing my dad, I was like, dad, honestly, it's an investment. It's an investment. It's like, it was like two, it was like two and a half grand. It was all my savings that I had in the entire world at 21 at that point, you know what I mean? Um, and yeah, I just, I knew that this was the vehicle that was going to sort of carry me through because it's, it's, it's an infinite, it's an infinite like list of jobs, whether it's paintwork, whether it's wheels, mm. whether it's this. And I was going to all the car shows and it was just something to strive for. All I wanted at that point was to have my car in, in the magazines and things. And I just have something sick to ride around in. Yeah. Little did I know that that was kind of going to be the gateway into everything that happens now. To try and track you down for the podcast was tough because Sorry. you're... you're go-getter and this the stuff that I love um, and you're traveling and you're and you're doing some fucking cool stuff so where should we start I mean what is it what is it you actually do now because okay. I know you've been in drag racing drifting you've been presenting <laughs> yeah. you've been reviewing cars yeah. 2016 you started a vlog and yep. uh, YouTube Italian, channel yeah. Got over 70,000 subscribers, mm-hmm. still rising. Mm-hmm. On your Instagram, it's like nearly 100,000. You've got yep. 98 or 97,000. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you've turned yourself into a brand and I feel that this is just the beginning because in the next 10 years, the way you're going, you're really going to be someone that people are going to recognise around the world for doing so. what you do. <laughs> I hope so. You know what, like, oh God, yeah, going back to what you, <clears throat> where are we right now with everything, like, it's 2020 and I have to admit every year is a different that the journey takes another it takes another left it takes another right but it's just being able to adapt to that so 2016 as you said I started the YouTube channel um 2017 I took the leap of faith out of my job to try and make the channel full-time because I was in that sort of paradox in the beginning where I was like not enough time so I couldn't make enough content the more content I could produce, the more deals, the more brand deals I could accumulate. 
through obviously visibility and being active in that space. So one one had to go, you know mm. what I mean? So I took the leap in 2017 to quit my job. Which is hugely commendable because there's so many people out there that had, are faced with the same kind of oh my God, yeah. paradox that you're, you were facing and many people, many people just play it safe and just stay in the job. It was terrifying, absolutely terrifying. I remember ringing my mum crying and just being like, oh my God, what have I done? And she was like, you're gonna be fine. Because at the end of the day, what is the worst case scenario? She was like, you can come and sleep on my sofa. It was like, you know, and I know some people might not necessarily have that fallback. I was lucky that, you know, at the absolute worst case is I had I had things to fall back on. I could, mm. I could, you know, I'd have, maybe I'd have to leave my flat. Maybe any of these like worst case scenarios could happen, but at least I knew I wasn't gonna be homeless, you know? She was like, look, you can come stay at my house. Mm. And I just thought, fuck it. You know what I mean? What is the worst that's gonna happen? If I don't take a chance on it now, who knows? So I did that and I just figured out a way at that point where I was like, okay, so what's your baseline every month? What's your rent? What's your this? What's your this? What is the absolute bare minimum that you need to make to survive? And I figured that out and it was like, I think it was like 1500 pounds a month. So then I started going on like um, Gumtree and then look, people looking for virtual PAs, people looking for somebody that can just organize their inbox or do this or do that. And I just started reaching out to people like that. And I was like, okay, cool. So I can offer my services for 600 pounds a month and it's completely mobile. So it gave me the mobility that I needed in order for me to keep building the channel and keep building the brand. It's incredible, incredibly resourceful. And I think you referred to it earlier as like you were like moonlighting, but trying to like, um, you're still focused on your North Star. So you had that vision, yeah. but you had to do these other little things in between in order to, to get there. And I think a lot of people don't appreciate as a, I don't know if I want to brand you or title you as an entrepreneur or, or what, but you kind of had that entrepreneur mindset. So. And um, you spin it. Many people don't realise that you have to spin a lot of place in order yeah. to, to, to get there. And it is stress, it is yeah. challenging. There is anxiety and fearfulness that comes Always. along with it. But I think the reward, once you get past that, it can be, you know, the, the euphoria is incredible. Do you know the one thing that, the, the biggest thing about what I did was it gave me the freedom. It was like <coughs> I was still working, but I, I, I managed to create a space where I could work on my own time. You know, I was mobile and that was the main thing. When you're creating content, especially around cars, it's a very different space to a lot of other content creators. So if you're in the gaming sphere or beauty sphere, it's like you can sit down and do 10 videos in one day because it's like it's a different makeup look or it's a different game, but it's all from one space. But when you're creating automotive content, you're out and about, you're in different locations, you're different camera shots, you're, you've got a third person there, you've got rigging shots, you've got this. It's like, it's your own mini production. Mm. And also then you have to sort of factor in like being able to collect cars, pick them up, drop them off, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's like, it's very active and you need that time. And that was the one thing that I knew that I was failing at. I was like, I just, I needed to free up that time for me to be able to make the content. Mm. And that was what that did. And thank God, you know. But at the same, as I said, I was like, I was working for like two, three people. Just any bit of money that I could get in just to keep it all moving. And that was, yeah, 2017, 2018. I was just starting. I was able to then stop doing the sort of moonlighting gigs and focus purely because I was getting bigger at that point. And 2018 was when I first met Red Bull. Um, and then not too long after that was when I did, they offered the job of doing my first series on Red Bull TV off the back of some content that I created for them. Amazing. Yeah. How was that, how was that feeling? Do you know what, it's one, of, 
I'm one of those people that doesn't really realise the weight of a situation until afterwards. Do you know what I mean? You might get a deal in and you're like, oh, that's pretty cool. And then when you look at it a year later, you're like, fucking hell, that was the best and biggest deal I ever did in my life. You know, at the time. Literally. Because I'm, so sc- I'm so scared of over-celebrating anything just in case it, it jinxes it. Yeah. I've so had the same. I, you know, unless, <clears> until, <throat> even until the content is about to be fucking uploaded and it's gone do not say a word to anyone do not just keep it or keep a tin lid on it because there has been times where i've like celebrated like mad and i was like this is amazing and then like you find out something's not gone right the deal hasn't gone through the content isn't uploaded they've decided to scrap it any of these things and, and you're heartbroken so it's like you had to, you have to become really thick-skinned stuff like that and remember that until that contract even when the ink is dry you need to wait until it's about it's there until you tangibly see the product in front of your eyes and it's gone and it's sold and the money's in your bank account, then you're like, I'll have a drink. <laughs> but that's only that's learning from my own mistakes where like I would go nuts thinking, oh my God, this is amazing. This person said, you know, and it's just, it builds you up to, to break your heart a little bit. That sounds really bad, but do you understand what I, you must know what it feels like Definitely. with deals and things like that. Definitely. You think, oh my God, I've sold, I've sold, you know, snow to the Eskimos. You big have a big celebration, then you feel like a knob because you're like, oh, it's not happening. Yeah, listen, I've, 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 I even get it still today, like <clears throat> do some fairly big deals and then a spanner comes into the works and you've kind of become complacent, you think it's going to happen mm. and suddenly something happens crazy and it yeah. fucks it all up and you're like, I bought that to my space because I became complacent and yeah. I like to try and live by Go hard on yourself because life will go easy on you. And if you go easy on yourself because you're complacent, life yeah. will go hard on you. Yeah. And I believe that kind of energy happens. Yeah. That's why I, I personally try and do a lot in my 24 hours get up, train, boxing, podcasting, yeah, you're very good at that. you know, all that kind of stuff because I'm just trying to. I don't know if I believe in God, but I believe there's a power mm. and I believe there's an energy and I want to just sort of display, I'm on my game. Yeah. Bring me something. It's, you very, know? it's very much that, you know, like I do believe, as you say, in energy like when you walk into it when you walk into a meeting when you walk into something with a brand it's like have good energy be like someone that they want to work with because it's like wow like i I really enjoy spending time with that person and you know think of idea just just be on your on your game i think what a lot what happens with a lot of sometimes creators or you know when you're in the sort of middle sphere we're not talking the top big boys because obviously they're there but it's like we're all on this like we're all trying to climb our own ladders Mm. you know everyone's trying to do their own thing everyone's trying to create their own empire like so many people which is great to see have got like their side hustle on you know there's a lot of people that work in a lot of jobs and they're still trying to create their stuff in the sidelines that's great do not ever become complacent, as you just said. It's like, do not ever think, well, it's all right, I'm the shit, I've got 100,000 followers, now I can do this. It's like, the minute you do that is the minute you're on your way down. Of course. Because it's just, I like being creative, I like spending time thinking about how do you diversify, how do you take all these things that you've learned and apply them somewhere else? Because that's the secret to longevity, personally, I think, anyway. Absolutely. Um, I'm trying to break into the space um, into the podcast world i believe in years to come i can be i can be someone but i know it's going to be a lot of hard work it's yeah. going to be con- consistency. consistency there's got there's yeah. got to be um like a brand image and all that kind of stuff now when the conversations come up to my mum i'm 34 years of age she's <laughs> from a generation that pff, internet i was just like you know this, yeah. this fake thing yeah and she knows it's not my 
I'm not trying to do it because I necessarily, necessarily need the revenue, but I want to start making money from it because I feel like I'm validated then as a podcast almost. Yeah. And she's like, podcast? What yeah. the hell was that? Yeah, and I'm yeah, like, yeah. well, it's basically, man, like a private, your own private radio station. Yeah. So what I'm trying to ask mm-hmm. is, let's say tips for me, but then also tips that people getting into podcasting or YouTube or yeah. vlogging, yeah. blogging, you yeah. know, trying to make... Because you went from that transition from, let's say, the typical normal job into doing what you do now and yeah. making a name for yourself where you can get paid. Yeah. How do people go about doing it? I mean... Okay. Well, it's like if you're trying to launch any business, really, look at look at your landscape. Why are you trying to do this? Figure out... Because if you don't understand what your mission statement is, then no one else is going to. Why are you trying to do this? Where are you trying to get to? What's your angle? Because at the end of the day, we are in an age where social media is becoming huge, so therefore it's becoming saturated. Therefore, you need to you need to really like understand what makes you different. From Have your a USP. Correct, and it can be something as minor as I don't know. I wear blue wigs when I do my podcast, but it's something. So it's a point of differentiation for someone to remember you and your content. You know. Um, I'm not saying do something as gimmicky as that. Your hair looks great. Can you please bring the pink? Yeah. <laughs> but it is, but it is. It's absolutely that. And, and going back to my own story, the the reason why I jumped was I was looking at, I was working with influencers. I was working with people within fashion, beauty and lifestyle. And I was like, hold on a minute. Like there is, there is this is getting big. Mm. We, I was watching the decline of print. Print was dying, everything like that. It was all moving online. I then looked at my own space. I was like, holy shit, there's like four or five big players and that's it. There's not really any females. I know these people. And it was like, right, okay, boom. No, figure out where your gap is. Then figure out your USB, as you say. And then try and collaborate if possible. But if not, if you can't collaborate because you know, you're quite small or people won't reply to you, and that does happen. It happens to all of us. People don't want to work with smaller people at times. It, of course. I had it happen to me a lot. You then need to be consistent 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 keep and when it's shit and you're not getting any views and you're feeling really dejected and all the rest of it it will come it will stand to you you just need to keep going and remember if you do not remember if you do not know at the end of every shoot at the end of every evening why you're doing it or what the context of the business is then that's when you're going to struggle my one was like i want to become a a voice of authority in the space and it was like just keep thinking that do you know what i mean you almost have to put your blinkers on is the one biggest stifler, stifler of creativity or, you know, maybe not doing what you want to do every day is people are looking left and right instead of looking straight ahead of them. They're looking left at what he's doing, my man's doing over there or she's doing. And then they get jealous and then they start like being like, why aren't I doing that? And then they lose focus. Like your focus has to be yourself. Mm. And that's the only way that I managed to do it because it's like, it's very easy in this world where, you know, you can sit there and be like, oh, why has that person got that? Or why is that person doing this? It's like, no, just keep your head down, put your blinkers on and become almost ignorant to your own cause. That's what I think anyway. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. 100%. Yeah. Very valuable information. Yeah. As I said, yes, I'd say the five points is just like figure out exactly what it is. Yeah. Why, what your USP is, consistency and collaborate. Yeah. And so let's just say people, because I know people need to have a passion for what they're doing, generating content, as you said, and you clearly have that. But let's not forget, unless you're getting paid, Mm -hmm. it's very, 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 very difficult to Mm -hmm. sustain that passion because you're thinking I'm not getting paid. So how do you monetize something like that? How do you monetize what? Creating content? Yeah. 
Well, it depends on, or if you're, okay, YouTube so if you're, yes, or, or whatever. So if you're, if you're on YouTube, obviously once you get to a certain amount of views each month, your AdSense will kick in. So that's just pure numbers. That's pure viewership. But I would say if you're trying to monetize, it's at the end of the day, you're trying to grow an audience. The key thing about all of this is, is finding your community and finding your market because out there, there is a, there is a market for anything. So there are people that like cars, for example, or people that like art. It's like you are talking to that audience. And once you figure out how to captivate that audience and bring them in, that is then where the money is because the money is in being able to speak directly to market. You, the way that like people talk about influencing, blah, 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 all the rest of it, the social media sphere, at the end of the day, it's a different form of advertising, except it's a more direct and targeted advertising. So if you became you know, a connoisseur of Richard Hamilton, there are Richard Hamilton fans out there. And if you were a Richard Hamilton seller, you would be like, okay, we need to work with this guy because he's talking directly to our consumer. That's exactly what happens with monetizing what you're doing online. So if you are selling bespoke, if you like bespoke sofas, you then start creating nice bespoke sofa content. And then you suddenly are tapping into a community of people that like bespoke sofas and then the bespoke sofa company comes to you and goes oh you're do you're talking directly to our consumer and you go well if you want access to that you need to pay x amount and then here beyond that it's another conversation obviously you provide your analytics but you are giving that person who is selling a product direct correlation and viewership on their or on their market mm. that is what you that is the the concept of monetization in this space Nice. Audience. Did that make sense? Yeah, totally. Perfect. It's helpful because we're about to launch a Woodbury House one in, in April for this nightlife show. Yeah. Which is going to be fucking blinding. It's, yeah, it's surrounding to. the Hamilton movement. It's with a guy called Frank, pronounce his name, Palu, Pala, Palay. I'm terrible. Pala, Palaya. <laughs> this one, everybody. <laughs> and um, look at all this cool stuff. Anyway, April, um, we're going to do a live um, podcast and also Q&A and we are going to be pigeonhole hole in into the art space, but specifically yeah. street street uh, nice. art and, and stuff like that. So becoming a bit, a bit of an expert, a voice in that area, and then therefore you're going to start gravitating towards the right audience and mm -hmm. clientele and that's how you can start selling to the consumer. Absolutely. As I say, if you always keep it in your mind... For anything to be monetized, you need to have a simple buy and sell element. Do you know what I mean? You need to break it all the way back down to the simple economics. You have a person that likes A and you have a person that sells A and you need to connect those two people. You then become the medium in between because you're attracting the buyer and you're also attracting the seller. And then the art of good business is being a good middleman. That's exactly right. So, so right. You travel around the world, then. Let's go back to you, back yeah. to you. So you're off to Vegas because you're because yeah. you're missing my fight. I'm sorry, no problem. Sorry. But there'll be another one. Just do, just get a fight out in Vegas. Start fighting in Vegas. That's cash. Well, if you can <laughs> if you can close me some deals over there and get me in a ring with Floyd Mayweather or something like that, I'll oh, give you half God. of what I earn. Perfect. Um, so you fly to, to, to Vegas. You every time I speak to you, you're, you're somewhere somewhere different. We're in what, Barcelona what, tomorrow morning. At night. I mean, what what's What's that like? Because that, that sounds like everybody's dream, but is it as glamorous as most, most people no. think it is? No, it's hard work. It's like, it is 
lots of late nights, lots of early mornings, lots of quick washes. If you ever like know the quick wash function on your uh, washing machine, I'm not saying glorious. I'm not saying this, but I can imagine people saying, "Well, oh, look, you have, you've got Stop it easy. Moaning. You're you're you know you're flying around and you're going yeah. to these different." I mean, honestly, what is it honestly like being it on the road? It is getting public transport to the airport, getting on a plane, stuff in. You're you're just. You're moving from place to place. It's not like you're in Bar. Like I'm going to Barcelona for the F1 testing with AMG tomorrow, right? Which is pretty cool. Okay, that's probably not the best example yeah. to use. But you're going to an event. You're working at said event, and then you're coming home again. Rarely do I get the times where like, oh, I'm going to go have cocktails on a rooftop in this wonderful place. It's like you're going there to do a job, and you're coming home to go and then move to the next job. Obviously, it's not always as black and white as that. Like it's great to see different places. I was very lucky. I think I did 15 countries last year. Incredible. 74 flights but that was because i was like more time up in the air than you are on the ground i know how i didn't get sick i don't know i've got like the you immune, are actually the true, immune you're, you're, system you're a true bird. dog i was like <laughs> unreal um it's good it was just i just i needed to do it because i wanted to just keep moving forwards it was mm. that constant i see the opportunity in everything whether it's to meet people to potentially work with them in five years time or whatever it's like just being on your game as you said and it just involved me traveling a lot because I obviously I present a championship that's six countries and then doing a lot of other content around the world as well where it's like different brand work this that and the other and then also you've got to remember beyond just the monetized work you still have to be on your own creation game so it's like trying to provide something new and exciting for people like it's not it's not going to cut the mustard just going back to your same haunts constantly 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 yeah for people that haven't like sort of come across your profile uh, yeah. and also your your YouTube channel and stuff, what is basically the content on there? Content on there is a lot of automotive, but also talking to the automotive um, enthusiast who doesn't fit the traditional mold. Like when we think of the automotive, you have one end, which is like Blenheim Palace and Oysters and supercars, or you have chavs that have just run into Halfords. And like and there doesn't seem to be a middle space in between which is like everyone like you or, with you or me or this person or that person who enjoys cars but who isn't like too far one way mm. it's like we still like popular culture we like art we like fashion we like all these things like but we still like cars mm. you know we're not all like absolute virgins who are like fucking belt buckle polishers like do you know what i mean it's like there seems to be just one mold fits all with automotive mm. like whereas there's so much more to us and there's so it's such a big market this middle market but no one talks to them yeah because it's like how do how do you how do you connect with something that doesn't really fit you it's like either one end of the spectrum or the other and i was like who's talking to the space in between yeah and that was where i was when you were doing your first ever vlog i mean Quite naturally, you must have felt a little bit nervous and yeah, stuff. Yeah, awful. But like, what was that? What was that feeling like doing it for the first time? Oh God, it's just public speaking. You know, it's like someone puts a camera on you, and you're then on your own with just the the lens cap look. You know, the lens looking at you. It's like being able to be comfortable to talk around a subject. When I first started, I could barely string two or three sentences together. Someone would have to be like, question, answer, question, answer. You know, I'd have my um, uh, camera guy behind the thing being like, where are you, Becky? And I'm like, I'm at, I'm at Silverstone today. What are you doing here? I'm here for Silverstone Classic. And what car have you got? With my E21. And what are we going to do now, Becky? We're going to go have a look around <coughs> and see what cars are here. Let's go. You know, and that's how I started. And now 
it's like you just free flow. You take, yeah, you see, you like you're like, yeah, I'm down here doing this, blah, 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 all the rest of it. And it just becomes a sentence turns into three sentences, and it becomes a paragraph, and then no one can shut you up. Yeah, but it's it's, it's a process, you know. Like the one thing that I've learned as I get older is like you don't realize how much you've grown until you look back. Because never, I, you know, if I then if I'd have gone, could you imagine like talking nonstop for like twenty minutes? And I'd be like, no. And now people are like, shut up. <laughs> so yeah, it's just, it's where you get to. Getting into the space that you're in with mm-hmm. cars, predominantly is full of full of men. It's a male, it's a male kind of sector. Well, that's how they I used, to, that yeah, I used yeah. to view view that. Certainly because like I said, I'm 34 years of age and so 10 years ago, you didn't, you didn't really see many females in, in that sector. Mm. So has that ever been like a challenge or has it ever been daunting or you just think, fuck it, I'm going to just... Um, make my own mark yeah. regardless yeah it's probably the latter just and I've, I, obviously you're aware of it like you become very aware of it but I don't know if it's ever ever really like stifled me in any way shape or form obviously you get the odd few arseholes here and there but it, it just is what it is it's like if you have a common passion like people can see that it's about genuinely being interested in your subject area because no one can argue with it do you know what I mean? Mm. If you like something as much as the next man, then they're like, all right, cool. It shouldn't make any difference what gender you are or you know what anything to do with that. Yeah. Is it, what I will say is people can sniff out the bullshit. It's like if you want, if the thing with a lot of females in a car sort of space, sometimes they can become a big fish in a small pond because you're a minority. But it's about having true passion. And if you are truly passionate about it, then people are like, all right, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's a, obviously there's a lot of stereotypes which are now being broken down. Mm-hmm. I'm, I obviously box. Mm-hmm. got my fight coming up yeah and going back you know 10 to 15 when i started boxing 14 years of age there was no and i mean no girls in the boxing club mm. at all yeah and i used to go to a few the one i represent now and i support and i've got just giving pays for my fight for bromley and downham i'm looking to help the kids there and pump money into that club nice it's um definitely giving them confidence and stuff anyway I went back there last night to do some sparring and I've been regularly going back there to do training of an evening and mm-hmm. there's females there and it's great. Bad. And they've got some they've got some fucking really, really good girls down there. Yeah. Um have you seen that turn a bit more in, in the sector that you're in? Like there's more and more females coming in because it's been a stereotype or not so much? Well, it's hard to, it's hard to stereotype because it's like I'm sure there have been females like there is females in every industry, it's just there wasn't so much a spotlight before. Um, I think in the content, I can only speak for my own space, as in like, so the, in the content creation space, there are definitely more girls coming through, which is great. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like there are definitely more people coming through because you, I, I, I have this theory of normalization, right? So if people will always be like, oh, that's different if they don't see it. So the more that there's more people doing something, then it gradually becomes normalized and then it's just not a thing. So what was originally like, oh, so there's a girl driving that car. You know, the more girl, the, then there's 10 girls and there's 20 girls and there's 30 girls doing it. Then everyone's like, yeah, she's a girl down the car. What are you on about? Mm. It's simple psychology. Like yeah. monkey see, monkey do. <laughs> it's, it's like the more we have positive role models doing these types of things. And as you see, there's like really great prominent uh, girl fighters coming up. <coughs> I mean, like follow that meatball Molly. She, I think she's like a UFC fighter. Oh, right. She's pretty sick. And then there's more girls coming through. And it's like the more people, that's the great thing about social. It's, it's created such a platform for a spotlight for all of the people that were like oh i'd actually kind of like to do that and uh people can see that and there's Mm. more people joining in so uh drag racing and drifting drag racing yeah what do you prefer 
Oh, drifting all day. I did drag racing when I was younger. You know, and that was very much my dad's thing. My dad's still very much into it. Like he writes. Center pods, you say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I used yeah. to. I remember, like, I was into like tuning up my car when I was younger and that kind of stuff. And yeah. that was always a place that people always used to rave on about. For sure, yeah, because it was like uh, they had these like run what you brung days where you can just like take your car and flat chat it all the way up the track and see how fast it is or rather how not fast it is <laughs> but it was you know it's a cultural thing it was just a real hub um, but like drag racing that I was involved in was like the pure racing side so you know like 3000 horsepower top fuel drags is that type of thing you know Jesus it's yeah there's definitely more horsepower than that I think that's the promos but still it doesn't matter I, I was always around it because my dad was around it my dad was um, in the MSA and FIA because again part of his hobby was we couldn't ever really afford to race but he was like I'm going to stay around it by becoming part of the adjudication and or into the lawmaking around the whole thing and that's what dad did like he raced for years when he was younger and then stepped into that side of things so we were always there because he was part of the governing body which made it all happen yeah you know and I grew up around that racetrack so I was just around it my whole life so look I, I, I've never done drag racing but you got yeah, drag yeah you have on a Saturday night I well see yeah I, I mean that. illegal drag racing but I mean professionally <laughs> I've never tried drifting admittedly yeah. I mean I had an M3 actually years ago which I tried to have a little go but I was shit at it where but, did you end up um, I was lucky enough I was in a in the I, I was just in like some um where was it like uh, industrial estate? So there was, ah, no, yeah, yeah. there was nothing around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So even if I end up sort of skidding out, I didn't hit anything. But anyway, so drag racing, simply in my mind, is bang foot to the floor and go. Yeah. Drifting is a whole different beast altogether. Oh, God, yeah, How yeah, did yeah. you learn that skill? And you're you've won some some. some oh no, I haven't like I haven't won anything like that. No? I've only just started going into competitive. Like yeah. you need to learn your craft before you like can win anything. Jesus Christ, it's a it's way harder. Very very sort of involved it's a it's, it's precision car driving basically it's like you need to be able to control a car essentially when it's out of control because you're using oversteer to go around a corner is that you know, yeah yeah, yeah. To, i always think like am i explaining this i just right? think of fast and furious oh i know so does everyone yeah. because that was the first time drifting massively got put on the map in a mainstream way and there's a scene where they're going up the... Uh, the Toge roads in yeah. Japan. Yeah, I've been there. It's very cool. Yeah? Yeah, so the Toge roads in Japan were kind of like... And they had to really do that, didn't they? Yeah. Mad. It is really cool. It's a really great sport. If I could explain it in one sentence, drifting as a competitive sport is like um, like figure skating. So you have a predetermined track. You have clipping points with which you have to get the rear wheels of your car into. So if it was like an S-Bend, there's a clipping point there there and you'd have to get your rear wheels into those zones so it's, as i said it's precision car driving and then you have oh it's it's, it's a lot in like a few sentences so, like, so where do you see yourself going in in, in drifting just, I don't know, just enjoying it just, enjoying it it's just something it's it's a real release for me do you know what i mean it's like it's something that i do and it's like you because it's so involved it's a bit like do you, do you ride motorbikes uh I, yeah i did yeah yeah, yeah. I so got one now, i but. i find that when i'm on a motorbike you, there is nothing else in the world that you can concentrate on because it's like still dying and yeah. like you have to have your eyes on the like you have to I be nearly died fully on one, yeah. in it you know yeah yeah we've all been there scary <laughs> um and that's what i like i like because i I've, I've always got quite a bit of chatter you know there's always like things mm. you know you're always thinking of things aren't you mm. whereas when i do that it's like pure peace yeah you're in the zone yeah um i know you've got to shoot off to another uh interview soon so i'm going to wrap it's it up okay. soon but i've got a Couple more things no, no, to go, ask go, go, go. you. We're fine. So, um, whilst we're talking about cars, what is what your favourite car, car, and what is the best, best car you've ever, ever, <laughs> ever, ever driven? 
Um, uh, what's the best crime I've ever driven? I start with that one. Um, 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 it would probably be. Okay, I'll go back to my favourite car. Like that I could buy. Because there's like, the anything, obvious, anything's possible. Because oh, there's so many different subcategories of your favourite car. Yeah. If it was an American car, it'd be an, a 66 Chevy Nova. If it was a supercar, it would be in a Ferrari 812, um, a super fast. If it was, you know, a German car, it would be a night. My favourite German car would be a GT3 RS or something like that, or or a 964 911 92 Turbo. It's quite specific, but that's a sick car. E30 M3, holy grail car. I have loads of different yeah. cars that I absolutely adore, and I'd say the best car that I've ever driven. I guess from a point of view of like just pure accuracy and something that is a rocket ship, it would be a McLaren. Um, what what one was I driving? Is it 600 LT? 600 LT is very good. It's very quick. Very, you know, those things. I think the three big supercar manufacturers, obviously Lamborghini, Ferrari, and McLaren, uh, they all have three very different um, personalities. Like you've got the Raging Bull, which is Lamborghini. It's not exactly direct, but it's pure power. Ferrari, it's the prancing horse. It's a little bit elegant. more, a bit more elegant, a bit more refined. Um, and then you have uh, McLaren, which is bionic. It's like, it's very AI. It's very direct, it's very accurate, but there's not so much soul in it, you know, like the other two have a real spirit. I've got to say, I much prefer Lamborghini over Ferrari. And it's because of what you just said, it's, Ferrari for me is technically brilliant and better in many ways than Lamborghini. But because of that, I don't get excited. Yeah. Like, this is a wrong, just because you're the type of guest that you are, I'm gonna explain it like this. It's almost like having a perfect wife the Ferrari, yeah, and she's beautiful, and everything she does is right, it's completely right, but she doesn't thrill me. Then I have a naughty one on the side that yeah. I just enjoy, uh, I, I enjoy, and that's my Lamborghini, <laughs> and that's how I describe them two cars. Yeah, they have definitely their own um, personalities. I mean, I yeah, Ferrari, as I said, is just the engineering in it is kind of what turns me on about it. It's like, it's just, they're beautiful cars. They sound amazing. I mean, the 812 Superfast is just insane. Like the noise off it is crazy. Um, uh, but Lamborghinis are very brash. Like the the clutches in them are fairly like bang, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you know what they're like. But to you drive. know you're in one. Yeah, for sure. Like yeah. you, any car has, Every, every car has its own buyer, you know. Mm. There's, a, I'd say, there's a particular set of personality traits which suit each car. Mm. Whereas a McLaren, again, is very, it's a lot of turbos. It's, it's very direct, very accurate, very like bionic. Mm. It's a completely different driving experience. Cool. Yeah. Where are you gonna see yourself in the next five or ten years from now? Could not tell you. I think if you try and, I think if you try and predict, then you almost put an idea of what that potentially could be in your head. Whereas you need to be adaptive. There's a reason why Madonna is still around these days because she adapts and she moves, reinvents, she reinvents and moves with the times. You just need to, going all the way back to what I said to you before is, know what your mission statement is and create and adapt to make that happen. So who knows? Um, Second to last question. Go. Any advice, which you've kind of said it before, but we'll just narrow it right down. Any kind of advice, because the goal is, on my podcast, is to inspire younger people specifically, but also others, Mm -hmm. to kind of find inspiration, motivation, education, and then think, you know what, I'm going to go down this path because I've been inspired by one of the guests. Mm. What would you give someone maybe just coming out of school, not really knowing where to turn, kind of any kind of 
insight to what you believe that could help them? Find out what you find out what your thing is. You know, what is it? What excites you? What makes you think when you, you know, find your thing that when you look at it, you're like, fuck, I really want to be a part of that. Or I really like that. And then just work back from there. Because once you find something that you're passionate about, everything else will kind of fall into place. Because it's only when you truly care about something that you're willing to give it the time and the energy and everything like that. It's the same thing, like I said to you about smoking this morning. Until you want to do it yourself and it's coming from you within because it's you, that's the only thing that's going to make you do it. And as I said, if you're just coming out of school, like I didn't know what I wanted to do. Like I knew what what I liked, but at the time I didn't realise how I could create that into my own business. But I was always doing the thing that I loved, which was the car thing, you know. And then just build out from there. Yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. My um, catchphrase, my quote is, be happy, never content. I'm from a sales background and I've got sales companies. Yeah. And predominantly salespeople, it's not about this product you're selling, the company that you work for, your sales skills, your chatter. It's about your belief and your drive and your, your attitude towards yeah. becoming the best version of you mm-hmm. so be happy never content was like a saying that was um, born from 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 that kind of mm. from from that life mm-hmm. and i try and live by it mm-hmm. i've got my own interpretation of what that means yeah. i'm always curious about guests what their interpretation of be happy never content if you were to say what, what that means be happy never content Ooh. that's a big one as well i think your concept of be happy is very very important because like on this journey that we call life, it's like, I feel like it's set out by a series of milestones, whether it's like buying that car or buying that house or do you know what I mean? It's like, whereas actually you need to figure out what truly makes you happy. So if, if, if that is like the whole uh, selling situation, if that's what excites you and gets you up in the morning, that's where your happiness is, then focus on that, not the end goal. It's like, it's always the process I would mm. say. And I guess you could, when you say, so be happy, never content, that means that your happiness is is the journey and not the end goal. Because the contentment would be like the house, the car, the job, the this, the whatever. That's not the end goal. Your happiness is the journey to- towards it. Perfect. Uh, where can people find you? Oh, you can find me um, on the back of post boxes. No, I'm joking. You can find <laughs> me... I'm at Queen B on Instagram, Becky Evans on YouTube, on Red Bull TV. It's uh, Drift Queen. That's the story on there. There's a couple of seasons on there. And yeah, I think that, that, that'll do it for now. Thank you very much. Um, thank you, Woodbury House, for allowing us to do this podcast and also Mimboso, the wellness company. Look out for that. It's going to be launching very soon. The pod, this podcast is going to be on there as well. Be happy, never content, and thank you very much, Becky. No problem, thank you.